You're listening to a teaching from Get the Word Out and Mary Jean Powers. For more information and audio content, visit www.getthewordout.cc. that we need to spend some time with Peter today. We're going to look at Peter, Simon Peter, what a guy, huh? Uh, we're going to compare his life before Pentecost to his life after Pentecost. In other words, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, after the coming of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with some basic information. Who was this Simon Peter? First of all, he lived in Capernaum. Capernaum was a town at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee was the northernmost region of Israel, and he lived there on the sea, which is quite large. Uh, it's Actually, it's a lake. And he had a fishing business with his brother Andrew. They were in business with James and John. So Jesus' disciples were uh, two, had two sets of brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, and they had this fishing business. Uh, Peter had never studied formally other than synagogue school like all the little boys went to so he was termed an unlearned man. He was married, lived with his wife and his mother-in-law in a house that was co-owned with Andrew. He was a man of energy, he was a man of action, a natural leader really. He was uh, possibly the oldest disciple though we don't know for sure but very well could be. What about his personality? He was hasty, he was rash, he was impulsive, he was impetuous, uh, over-enthusiastic at times, very sanguine, outgoing personality, quick to respond, and also a good question asker. But sometimes he was asking questions or talking when he was supposed to be silent. Sometimes he was asleep when he was supposed to be awake. Uh, sometimes he was active when he needed to be still. But he did have enough faith to walk on water Granted, he sank for a time, but, but still a man of faith. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, uh, do you remember that story? Peter said, you'll never wash my feet, Lord. And this is in John chapter 13, and Jesus responded by saying, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. So Peter said, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Quite a guy. Uh, now I'm gonna go through three quick stories about to make a point about Peter. First one we find in Matthew chapter 16. Remember when Jesus asked this question of his disciples, who are people saying I am? Who do people say I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist who had been recently beheaded. Some say you're Elijah the prophet who had been dead hundreds of years. Others say, well, just one of the prophets. They were totally speculating. They didn't know for sure who Jesus was. And then Jesus asked the question of all questions, right? The most important question of all time, really. What about you? Who do you say I am? And that's when Peter makes this stunning declaration, this revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. <laughs> Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Simon, but my father in heaven. And you are Peter, which means rock. And on this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then the story tells us that from that time on, Jesus began to prepare his disciples for his death. We don't know exactly how much time took place between Peter's revelation and declaration of Jesus being the Christ and what was said next. 
In the Bible, of course, it's the very next paragraph. But what we read in Matthew 16, 21 is the implication that it was shortly thereafter, Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, on the third day I will rise again. And Peter's immediate response was to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Kind of, kind of reminds me of that scene in Home Alone where the tall skinny bandit, uh, he says, never when the little kid asks him, do you want, some, you want some more of this? And the bandit goes, never, kind of like that. Peter said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And can you imagine, verse 23 of Matthew 16, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter had made this magnificent declaration, this confession inspired by the Father, and then rebuked Jesus with a remark that reeked of Satan. Second story to make my point. This happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was changed by the glory of God to look like God. And he was there, Jesus was there with Elijah and Moses, and uh, Peter just could not keep quiet. He had to say something. Master, it's wonderful to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then in Matthew 17, 5, it says, While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Can't you just hear the voice, the fatherly voice of Father God saying, Listen to him. Nice way of saying, shut up, Peter. And for the sake of making my point, I'll add one more story here that's not in this chronological timeline that we're following. This is a post-resurrection story. Peter had gone to the house of a brand new believer named Cornelius and was preaching to a group gathered in Cornelius's house. This is in Acts, 10, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10. And in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who was listening. So we're talking about Peter today. And what's my point with these three stories? The story of Peter saying, you were the Christ, the son of the living God. The story of the transfiguration in Cornelius's house. <laughs> Peter has now been inter interrupted by Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Who else can say that they've been interrupted by all three members of the Holy Trinity? <laughs> Quite an accomplishment, huh? Well, this was Peter. And then shortly before Jesus was crucified, we're back to the chronology now, Peter boasted that he would never deny Jesus. He would even die for him. And all the other disciples said the same. But within hours, Peter declared with an oath that he had never even met Jesus. So that's a little about Peter. Now let's remember that Jesus taught his disciples, what Jesus taught his disciples about Holy Spirit Jesus was preparing his disciples well before the crucifixion for Pentecost that came 50 days after the crucifixion. Jesus was preparing his disciples by creating anticipation for the coming of the Holy Spirit, by arousing their holy curiosity. So in John chapter 14, for example, Jesus explained to his disciples that he had been with them, but he was sending one who would be in them. He would be leaving, but this one who would be in them would never leave them. And he said, and his name? 
the spirit of truth. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And then in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus told his disciples, no, you don't understand this, but it's good for you. In fact, one translation says, it will be better for you if I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor cannot come, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that comforter, that friend, is the promised Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus followed by, was followed by 40 days when Jesus appeared to his disciples off and on. He did really cool stuff like walk through walls and just show up when he was least expected. And he talked with them about the kingdom of God. He also gave them proofs that he was physically alive. I, I've been thinking about this. Wasn't it gracious of Jesus to not just resurrect and go straight to heaven, but to resurrect and come hang out with the disciples for 40 days? Uh, he, it, the Bible says he appeared to over 500 people. He came back to earth. And I think, really, that he was reassuring them. He was reassuring them of things to come. He was reminding them of things he said. And he was uh, speaking words that would establish his kingdom, help them understand what was going on. And besides that, they had suffered tremendous pain, loss, uh, confusion, grief, even death, Jesus' death, their hope, the hope of Israel, the Messiah had been killed. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to think. And yet Jesus comes and he loves on them and he leads them and he guides them, he teaches them, and in some ways reminds them of what to expect. And so the encouraging word for this is that even in your loss and in your pain, in your days of confusion, in uh, possibly even the grief that you're feeling, the mourn you're, mourning you're learning to express because of a death, uh, Jesus has promised to walk with you too. And he does so today by the person of the Holy Spirit. He has promised resurrection life because he resurrected. For the Christian, there's always some kind of resurrection after whatever kind of death or loss we have experienced. Jesus will walk with you. He'll bring you through to that resurrection life. So whatever your grief is today, whatever your loss is, whatever you're feeling and have experienced recently especially, know Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he is with you by the very personal presence of the Holy Spirit today. Ask him to give you glimpses of his resurrection life because it's there, it's there. There is resurrection for us and Jesus provided that for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, John chapter 20 tells about one event that happened between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension during that 40 days when he was on earth. Here's the story. One evening, the disciples were meeting together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly <laughs> Jesus was standing there among them. Peace, peace be with you, he said. 
and as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And the disciples, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed into them. And he said, receive, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You know, many Bible scholars believe that this was actually the disciples' salvation experience. Uh, Jesus' emphasis in context was on forgiveness. Of course, they had experienced Jesus. They had walked with him for three, three and a half years. But their experience was before the crucifixion and the resurrection, before his blood was shed, before he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And now, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus breathes into them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and then speaks to them of forgiveness, which is the essence of our salvation. Now, it's significant that it says he breathes into them. Uh, you might know that the word spirit literally means wind or breath. The Holy Spirit of God is the holy breath of God, the holy wind of God. And just as in the Garden of Eden, when God took this dirt and he formed man, and then he breathed his own breath into mankind. And it says, Adam became a living man because the life of God, the breath of God was in him. And now Jesus comes and he breathes into his disciples the Holy Spirit. Now, in Paul's teaching, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, God says, or Paul says, God anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Let's talk about that word anointing just for a minute, then we'll come back to it later. God anointed us, another symbol of Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit symbols that were used were anointing and wind, fire, water, and, and a dove. So we have, uh, we have now God anointed us, said Paul, and his seal of, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we know by this that Holy Spirit comes in us at salvation as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when Jesus breathed into his disciples, of course, that was partly proof that he was uh, physically alive. But there's more. Wait, <laughs> there's more. In the Old Testament, Holy Spirit came on very few people, mostly prophets, priests, and kings. But now, but now the old order has passed because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And a new order has come. Peter even teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you, church, he's talking to the church in general, you, church, are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special treasured possession. Why? 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, the salvation experience, that moment at which you were called out of darkness into the God's light and you changed kingdoms. Chosen, you became a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his treasured possession. So now we are the priests. We are the ministers of reconciliation. Now, now we are living in the age of the Spirit still. So during Old Testament times, the, the Spirit came on people, only a few, for a particular purpose. But now we live in salvation and intimate relationship with God through the person of Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, and by the accompanying power of his Spirit within us. So back to our timeline. 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascends and goes back to his father. Can you even imagine the reunion that took place then? Then in the book of Acts, it was Peter who led the disciples. Actually, it was about 120 people, uh, the disciples plus Mary, Jesus' mother, and, and other women, and a, a bunch of other people too, and Jesus' brothers uh, and family. So it was Peter who led Jesus' followers through 10 days of fasting and prayer and worship and waiting on God for the promised Holy Spirit. So after the crucifixion, now it had been 40 days that Jesus was on earth, he ascends, and now for 10 days, Peter is the one who is leading uh, the Jesus' followers into this time of prayer, fasting, worshiping, and waiting on God. And on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection, the day we now call the day of Pentecost, uh, we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So on the 50th day after the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit descended and the church was born. Now, Holy Spirit came with basically three gifts to us, three things to establish the church and to grow the church. He came with boldness, he came with gifts, and he came with guidance for the church, for the establishment of this new baby church that had been born. You know, <laughs> we're kind of funny because we want God's guidance, we definitely do. But there are sometimes we're a little skeptical about the gifts. Uh, and sometimes we're skeptical about boldness. We're not so sure we want to be courageous for Jesus. Now, others of us sometimes emphasize the gifts, uh, but over, maybe we should say it this way, overemphasize the gifts of the Spirit at the expense of the Spirit of the gifts. What God sent on Pentecost was the Spirit himself. We must remember the Holy Spirit is the real gift, and he comes to us predominantly as a helper. What does he help us with? Boldness, gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and guidance that we need every single day. 
And these are the way Holy Spirit is actively helping the church. Holy Spirit's our helper. Remember, now, at salvation, Holy Spirit comes in us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And now we see in Acts chapter 2 that Holy Spirit comes on us for ministry. And this is what is referred to in the Bible as anointing, Holy Spirit's anointing. Anointing is a word we, we use often, we hear a lot, but let's talk about what it really means. The, um, the best example I can come up with for anointing is found at Dairy Queen. Are, are you, you guys Dairy Queen fans? Uh, for those of you guys who are listening internationally, Dairy Queen is a, an American fast food place that specializes in ice creams and different kinds of things. So what is, what is the beauty and the glory of Dairy Queen? In my opinion, it's that ice cream cone that you order. It's just your basic cone and they and you order the vanilla ice cream, right? And you want it dipped in chocolate. So if you can, if you're lucky enough to see them through the window while they do this, they take the cone and then they pull down the lever on the ice cream machine. And then the ice cream goes bloop, 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 right? And each one of the bloops get a little smaller and a little smaller and a little smaller. And then I don't know how this works, but they take that ice cream and they turn it upside down and the ice cream doesn't fall out. It's in the cone. It doesn't fall out. They hold it up upside down and dip it in this thing of warm chocolate. <laughs> and you're drooling, I can tell, because I know I am. So they dip it in this chocolate and then, then they bring it up. Uh, it has the same shape as the ice cream. It goes bloop, bloop, bloop. And then on the very top is this little bloop. It's a little curly thing. And if they hand it to you soon enough, the very first thing you do is you take that ice cream through the window and you put your lips on the little boop on the top because the chocolate's still warm and it melts in your lips and you go, oh, ah, it's so good. And what you don't know is, especially if you didn't see through the little window and watch them do all of this, you might not know what kind of ice cream that really is. What if you ordered vanilla and they gave you chocolate or strawberry or something? But the reason you don't know is because that ice cream has been smeared, covered, completely covered over with the chocolate. We could say it this way. Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen ice cream is anointed. Because the word anointed in Hebrew literally means to smear, to completely cover over. For example, before I started to teach this morning, in uh, to my phone, I asked God to anoint me. I submitted myself to him. I surrendered to him. Anoint me, please, with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one who anoints. And remember in the Old Testament, the prophets would anoint kings by pouring oil, which is another symbol of Holy Spirit, pouring oil over their heads. It ran down their hair. It ran down their beard and down their clothing. And it was a symbol of anointing them, of covering, of smearing them with the Holy Spirit, with the presence and power of God. And so the word anointing means to smear, to completely cover over. When I prayed this morning, what I prayed was, Lord, may they not hear my words. May they hear yours. May they not see, uh, remember what I say, but 
may they pay attention to you and not lose one single thing that you want to say to them. Empower me to speak your words the way you want them spoken. Uh, what is this? Holy Spirit comes on his people, the Jesus followers, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and he anoints them and empowers them to do things that they are not naturally, physically capable of doing or knowing. And one of the gifts that Holy Spirit sent was the gift of tongues, which provided clear communication for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to all of the people from all the different nations through the apostles who had not learned these languages previously. On that day, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, supernaturally, Peter, think about who he was and where he came from. Peter delivered a sermon that was so powerful and so engaging and so compelling, 3,000 people became Jesus followers that day. Now that's anointing. That was over and above and beyond who Peter naturally was. God had promised to send his Holy Spirit and he had done it. And now we still live in the age of the Spirit. During Old Testament times, he came on, on only a few and for a particular purpose. No average Old Testament Israelite would ever know the Holy Spirit the way we do today. Even the people who walked with Jesus during his ministry years in person didn't have the blessing of the promised Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. You know, the Acts of the Apostles, that's what the book is called in the Bible. Maybe it's more accurately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. So let's talk about this gift of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, that was the real miracle of Pentecost. Not the sound of the, of the wind, not the, uh, the, what appeared to be tongues of fire that settled on them, arrested on them, not the speaking in tongues. Those weren't the real miracle of Pentecost. The real miracle was the Holy Spirit and his availability to all Jesus followers. The signs, the wonders, the miracles, they simply alert us to the fact that something very significant is happening. Those signs were secondary. They served as signposts, you could say, all alerting the world that God was pouring out his spirit on everyone who believes in him, who trusts in Jesus, who relies on him, who depends on him, regardless of who you are. You trust Jesus, Holy Spirit will come. And the people in the, in the crowd on the day of Pentecost, they had just witnessed great miracles performed by the disciples through the promised Holy Spirit, and those signs signified that the age of the Spirit had now begun and we're still living in it. Holy Spirit was given by the Father in Jesus as a gift. A gift, not something to be earned, not something to be agonized over, not something to be strived for. You could say, Father gift wrapped Holy Spirit and gave it to those of us who trust Jesus. We can't earn the Holy Spirit by doing good works any more than we could earn our salvation by doing good works. He is the gift of God to every Christian who puts their faith in the, the saving blood of Jesus Christ.
Now again, the great miracle of Pentecost is that Holy Spirit is available to all Jesus followers. And we still celebrate Pentecost today because Holy Spirit is still the personal presence of God on earth today. He's alive, he's well, he's active, and he is the most enthusiastic personality you will ever meet. He comes in us at salvation, and amazingly, he comes on us with a powerful anointing for ministry at particular times. We've looked at, at Peter's life before the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, and he was a piece of work. <laughs> and then we looked at his life on the day of Pentecost, and now let's look at Peter the, day, uh, uh, the days following Pentecost, okay? So I'll just bullet point some things here about Peter's life that we know from the Word of God. He worked miracles. He exposed Ananias and Sapphira as hypocrites. He disciplined Simon, the sorcerer. He evangelized the household of Cornelius. We told that story earlier. He went to prison for preaching that Jesus was the Christ. He was beaten for preaching that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. He encountered angels. He was a phenomenal preacher. He became one of the primary leaders of this baby church that had been born, and leadership primarily came out of Jerusalem. And toward the end of his life, Peter was imprisoned. The Simon of the Gospels hardly seemed to be the same man as the Peter of the book of Acts. Jesus saw Simon the fisherman and called him out to be Peter the fisher of men. Jesus saw him for who he was created to be. Jesus saw the original design and said, follow me, Jesus, and you, follow me, Peter, and you will become who you've been created to be. Jesus saw who Peter was created to be and transformed this willing man into one of the most powerful kingdom builders the world has ever seen. And whatever your issue, Jesus sees you. Wherever you find yourself today, Jesus sees you. Just like Jesus saw Peter when he was a mess, he sees me in my mess. He sees who you were created to be and he has committed himself to interacting with you based on his original design with you, for you. He wants even more than you want to see you become who you've been created to be. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will move heaven and earth if you will say yes to him. You do what's possible. You do what he's put in your hand and your heart to do. And you watch God do the impossible so that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. The Simon of the, Simon of the Gospels learned that by walking willingly and daily with Jesus, everything is redeemable. That's good news. If Jesus can redeem and restore Peter, he won't have any problem with me and you. He truly, truly makes all things new. So, what's the deal with Peter anyway? Why such a radical transformation? How did that happen? Well, let's summarize. First of all, he was teachable. He was willing. He was trained and discipled by Jesus. And that's what we do when we make disciples of you of one another. When we uh, do this discipleship thing, we're not making disciples of us, we're making disciples of Jesus, right? He was full of the Holy Spirit 
and he was part of a community of Jesus followers. So, he was transformed. He was changed. This age of the Spirit, this time, this today that we are living in is not the time to be overwhelmed with our flaws and our weaknesses. Nor is it time to be overwhelmed with the flaws and the weaknesses of others. But it is time to press on and take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of you. Namely, the glory of God. The ultimate as Jesus followers. He has given us access to himself through the blood of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. What about the end of, Jesus, of Peter's life? Historians tell us that Peter was crucified in Rome, head downward by his own request. He did not count himself worthy to be crucified as his Lord had been crucified. So he asked to be crucified upside down. Historians also tell us that before his crucifixion, he was forced to watch his wife being crucified. And all through her agony, he shouted, Oh, thou my beloved, remember Christ! Remember Christ! And that's what Holy Spirit does. He comes to us as he came to Peter as our primary helper whose number one job is to reveal Jesus. Holy Spirit's like a spotlight on Jesus and he's calling us to be the same. Spotlights on Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit we can do this for a dying world. We can spotlight Jesus. In conclusion, I'd like to reference a quote from Rain from Heaven by A. Wallace. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then back in Psalm 85, verse 6, there's a prayer. Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? There's a principle of God's ways in revival. He does not begin by regenerating the outsider, but by reviving the insider. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It is always God's plan first to renew his people and then through them to reach the world. You cannot have revival without believers being filled with the Spirit. But the fact that believers are filled does not constitute revival or result in revival. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It would seem that God was determined to emphasize from the outset that he intended this to be a universal experience for his people, not just for a select few, as was the case under the Old Covenant. Those disciples of the upper room must have presented an interesting cross-section of the fruit of our Lord's earthly ministry. There were the 12 disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and other women as well, the brothers of Jesus who did not believe in him the last time we read about them in the Gospels, and others adding up to 120, some older, some younger, some educated, some unlearned, some seasoned, and others newly converted. But significantly, they were all filled, not just the 12, and not just those with a leading role. God's terms of reference have not altered. This is the age of the Spirit. Holy Spirit 
is still for all who trust in Jesus. As Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, this, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you came. And thank you that when you left this earth, you did not leave us alone. But you sent Holy Spirit. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for not just being with us like Jesus was with us, but being in us and empowering and anointing and filling us to see God's kingdom come on earth, just as it is in heaven. Thank you. Thank you. We worship you today on this Pentecost Sunday. And thank you for coming, for your sake and for ours, and for the sake of the world, for those who don't know Jesus yet. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to a teaching by Mary Jean Powers. If this teaching has ministered to or encouraged you and you'd like to donate, please visit www.getthewordout.cc.